Well, good evening and welcome to this evening's training of the Healthy Discipleship Community. Tonight we're talking about the idea of avoiding the sin of partiality, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what that means in just a few moments here. We've been looking at the book of James, and uh, we've been going through some of the details that James brings up in his letter. He brings up a variety of, uh, of things, and so this evening we're looking specifically at what he says about partiality and how that particular subject impacts the local church. Now, People are different. I think that's a pretty obvious statement. And when you look at what factors into our differences, we see things like the fact that we come from different places and we have different experiences that impact our preferences and our ideas and our material goods. And by the way, I bring up the concept of of the material goods here in this discussion because uh, that's something James is about to bring up in the scripture that we're about to look at. But people are different. We have all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of different places we came from, different experiences, preferences, ideas. I think that that's just uh, something that we all readily see and, and hopefully uh, to some degree can accept. Uh, but one of the great blessings of being part of the church is that we're one in Christ, when you look at what Scripture tells us about our walk with Christ and our relationship with Christ and our relationship with one another through Christ, the Scripture reveals to us that, that we are one in Christ. And Scripture also goes into details to tell us that we are valued equally, we are part of one body, and we share the same hope. So these are some of the commonalities that we see in Scripture related to, to uh, the things that are true of each of us who are in Christ. Christ gives us the model, as we're looking at what Scripture reveals, Christ gives us the model for how we're to treat one another. With all our differences, with everything else, we're, we're reminded that we're one in Christ and we're invited to treat one another with that mindset. And so with that in mind, James elaborates on that here in this portion of Scripture that we're about to look at in just a moment, where he talks about this concept of partiality. And he explains what it looks like to value and respect others in a Christ-like manner. And I find this a very helpful topic, and I'll share a little bit in just a few moments why I find this so helpful in this particular season, and we'll get to that in, in just a few moments. But let's take a look at James with me a section at a time. I'll have the scripture here. If you're uh, joining us via video, I have the scripture here on the, on the screen for us to see, and I'll be doing that throughout the evening. If you're joining us on audio, you could just listen, and uh, you'll hear the scripture as I'm reading it. But the first thing that I, I think we want to be wrestling with and asking as we open up our look here at James chapter 2 is this question of who gets your attention. You can see James bringing this up in these verses. Let me read verses 1 through 4 of James chapter 2. There it says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
So again, we're reading from James chapter 2, the opening verses, verses 1 through 4. And in this particular context, James gives a hypothetical scenario that's not very hypothetical when you realize just how uh, different church gatherings tend to go. And he, he encourages the church, and he's, he's speaking here in a very uh, family-oriented way. He's calling them his brothers. So he's saying, my brothers, and he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's encouraging them right at the outset here of this chapter to not be people who are unfair in their judgments to others or partial based on worldly metrics. And I think that that's something that probably all of us have struggled to one degree or another with. We at times tend to show partiality to people based on snap judgments that we make. And it's usually something about a person's appearance or, um, you know, just what, what we can visibly see. And James addresses that here in this portion of Scripture. And the example he gives here, he says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, uh, and so he kind of starts off with that. So he's, he's, he's painting that picture. He's saying somebody who has very visible and obvious uh, in, uh, indicators that he's wealthy. You know, he's wearing a gold ring, he's wearing fine clothing, and he comes into your assembly. So he's setting it up, and he's going to draw a contrast here between uh, a rich man and a poor man. And and by the way, keep in mind, you know, in our context here, we tend to think of clothing as almost a, you know, it's a machine-produced throwaway item in many respects. We get clothing very, very inexpensively. In the era in which James lived, people often only had one change of, of clothing. And clothing was a sign of wealth. Clothing was something that was frequently traded and, and bartered, like it was a currency in some, in some context. And so here he's saying, all right, if a man comes in and he's got a gold ring, so he's indicating wealth that way, and maybe even authority and status by having that ring, and fine clothing, so he's indicating that he's, that he's wealthy in the sense that if he's wearing fine clothing, that's obviously not his work clothing, so he must have more than one change of clothes. Uh, and if, you know, he says, if he comes into your assembly, so when you're gathered together as the church, you know, as he comes into your assembly, and then he says, as a contrast here, he says, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and he, he's going to lay the scenario here, what are you going to do with this? Who gets your attention in this moment? Does the poor man get your attention? Does the rich man get your attention? Or do they both equally get your attention? Well, here he says in verse 3, he says, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. You know, James is, is showing us a scenario here that we can imagine actually seeing it take place, you know, where, where this, this wealthy man comes in, and he's given a place of prominence, and, and a simple man comes in, a poor man comes in, and he's told basically in, in, in the way that he's treated that he isn't valued. You know, you don't even get a seat, sir. You could just stand over here. Or you could sit at, at, at my feet. James here says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's saying you're looking at somebody and you're assessing value to them based on worldly metrics. You're looking at somebody and you're, and you're not recognizing the intrinsic value that that person has because you're not valuing them as someone who's been created in, in God's image. You're not valuing them as someone who Christ gave his life to redeem and rescue you're looking at them and you're valuing them by worldly metrics. And so he describes that here as, as becoming judges with evil thoughts. And so in our context, if we want to look at this as, 
something that we can learn from and something that we can grow from, it's helpful for us to just say, all right, who gets my attention? Who gets my attention? Am I willing to focus on the person of humble means or do I only give attention to the person who looks like they have wealth or status? So that's how James sets this up. Then he jumps into verses five and seven. And uh, I think it's useful for us to ask this question as we look at these verses. Will you honor the poor man? Will you honor him or will you ignore him? Look at how he phrases it in verses 5 through 7 of James chapter 2. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. And by the way, can't you hear James saying this with some passion here and, and, uh, you know, like somebody with wisdom, somebody that's a bit older, somebody that's looking at others and saying, let me just give you a challenge here, brothers. I want you to think about this. So listen. Pay attention. And he, he, he points something out to them from a theological perspective that he wants them to know. He says, listen, my bro- beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? And then he goes on to say, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who op- oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So again, James here is is saying, all right, look at whom God chooses to use frequently in this world. Frequently, in an attempt to display his glory, the Lord will intentionally use those that this world doesn't suspect he's going to use. Probably one of the most obvious examples of that is when the Lord chose David to be the next king of Israel after Saul, uh, visibly speaking and numerically in the lineup of, of his birth order. From earthly metrics, it was not somebody that, that people would have expected to be the one chosen to be king. He wasn't uh, as visually striking, maybe, as, uh, as some of his siblings. But yet God chose him, even though he was younger. God chose him, even though he, he maybe wasn't quite as big as some of his siblings or, or visibly giving off some sort of distinction. And yet God chose him to be a powerful and mighty, mighty ruler, mighty king. You know, even when you look at how the Lord has chosen to use the nation of Israel throughout the course of its history, to, to be the, the people that he communicated his truth through, and you would say, all right, they're just a small nation. You know, why is there so much fighting over them? Why, is there, why do people care about that? Well, God chooses things that seem poor or weak or small frequently to be rich in faith because they have no other choice but to trust him uh, because that, that's the only option. There's no plan B there. I also think it's interesting when you look at the, how Christ visually came to this earth. When you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that when Jesus took on earthly flesh— he intentionally did so in such a way as to not, he didn't make himself the most handsome of men. You know, he could have, he could have chosen to do this otherwise, but intentionally he didn't take on a form that people would look at him physically and be drawn to him. He didn't want that to be a superficial reason people were drawn to him. And, and so it, that's very consistent with how God has worked throughout the ages choosing those who are poor in the world, choosing those who, who aren't necessarily esteemed to be rich in faith, to demonstrate the nature of genuine faith, to be heirs of the kingdom. And, and James here says, which he has promised to those who love him. 
And, but here he's, he's also challenging, challenging the church. He's saying, listen, you've dishonored the poor man, but yet it's people like this that God makes rich in faith. These are the type of people that God frequently is working through, and you've dishonored him. And, and he points out, he says, listen, you're honoring the rich, but isn't it the rich who frequently will oppress you? Aren't these the very people who drag you into court? Aren't these the very people who blaspheme the honorable, uh, the honorable name of Christ by which you were called? And so James is, again, drawing that contrast here, and he's trying to point this out because he's saying it's inconsistent with what's really going on behind the scenes. Something else that he brings up here in James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that's very applicable to us as well, is this idea of loving your neighbor. And so let's just ask this as a, as a question as we're talking about this idea of partiality, and we'll talk about this more when we get into the discussion time. But do you love your neighbor? In James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So if you show partiality, he says, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But we're encouraged here to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, that's a portion, that's, that's a quote that comes up multiple times in Scripture, and it's something that's useful for us to, uh, to be mindful of. Uh, you're probably familiar with the phrase that's re- referenced elsewhere, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or, or you know, here it's, it's talking about this idea of love your neighbor as you love yourself, and obviously, you know, related concepts. I was actually even listening to a song earlier this evening that's just related to that particular concept of treating others the way you would want to be treated or loving others the way you would want to be loved. And so here James is saying, do you, you know, effectively, like we're phrasing this as a question, do you love your neighbor? And and again, even when we talk about this idea of loving someone, when you look at the biblical way that love is used, that word isn't just about having warm affection for someone. It, it, it actually means to seek what's best for somebody else, even at great personal cost to yourself. And that's the kind of love that the Lord has shown us, where he seeks what's best for us, even if it's costly to him. And since Christ has demonstrated that to us, we're encouraged to love others in the same fashion. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others with the kind of love that you're grateful that you have received. And James says, that's well, you're doing well if you do that. But if you show partiality, he tells us here that we're committing sin. You know, if we're treating people different just because of, you know, worldly standards of measurement, typically wealth or appearance or status or what we think we can get from somebody, he says, that's sin. I often think, you can tell a lot about a person's character by how they treat others who cannot offer them something material in return. You know, there are people in this world, most people in this world, that, that tend to treat those who can give them something rather well. But I always think you could tell a lot about a person by how they treat those who can't give them anything, materially speaking. And I think that that's part of what James is getting at here and why he's challenging the church to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Well, he goes on to show us two other things here. And this one's very powerful to me, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be powerful to you as well. But when we look at what he says in verses 10 and 11, what he's demonstrating here is the very reason we need 
Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. Let me read it for us, and then I'll explain what I mean. And when we get into our discussion time in a couple minutes here, uh, maybe we could discuss this a little bit further. But he says, in verse 10 and verse 11, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And he's saying, you know, of the whole law. You've broken the whole thing. Now, think about this statement for just a second, because it's it's a, a very powerful statement. He's saying whoever, and I guess he's saying here, like in his own mind, whoever in his own mind thinks he keeps the whole law, but yet fails in one point, he's saying they've become guilty of breaking the entire thing because it's the same Lord who said don't commit adultery that also said don't commit murder. So if if somebody is not committing adultery but is committing murder, he's saying, listen, you've broken the law. You're, You're a transgressor of the law. And I think it's interesting that he that he uses the example here of somebody that does commit murder, and um, and when you tie that to what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us that if we hate people, it's the same as committing murder in our hearts. And do you suppose that James is kind of getting at this here, where he's saying instead of loving somebody, you're basically treating them like you hate them with murderous hatred when you're saying instead of have this in, you know, esteemed seat, you know, man of, of, of uh, limited means. Uh, instead of saying that, you're saying, all right, sit at my feet. He's saying, is that not the same as treating somebody with the contempt and hatred that at times you know, ultimately forms the foundation of murder? You're basically saying to somebody that you, their life is of no value to you, that you don't value their life. It's in a subtle way, very similar to the root cause of murder. Now, you can see the headline that I put there, the, the fact that this is why we need Jesus. And I want you to think about what, what James says in verse 10 here, where he says, for whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, we don't have our mics on just yet, but we'll have them on in just a few moments. It'd be interesting to hear our responses to that, because there are people that I have met throughout the course of my life who give off the vibe that, that they are keeping the law of God perfectly or that they don't wrestle with sin or anything like that. But when you and I look at our lives, if we're honest, we have to admit that we have sinned against the Lord in every category that it's possible to do so. And even if we've only sinned against the Lord in one category, this scripture makes it clear that it's still the same thing, ultimately, as breaking the entire law. We've broken the covenant, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've transgressed the law, even if we've just sinned once. And that's why we need Christ. Because when you look at what Christ has come to do, Jesus Christ came to this earth to keep the law for us because we couldn't keep it. He who knew no sin kept the law for us because we, by nature, are sinful people who transgress the law. And so he kept it. Scripture tells us he fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf. And he did so so that now through faith in him, his righteousness is given to us. And we don't have to present ourselves before him as, as somebody that's just enveloped in our own righteousness. We can say, all right, I have received the gift of your righteousness because you kept the law 
on my behalf. I'm guilty of transgressing the law. You kept the law for me. And when I read the things that James is saying here in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, as he's talking about the fact that if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole thing, I'm reminded of the fact that this is why we need Jesus, because Christ kept the law for us, and through faith in him, we're given the gift of his righteousness. One last thing that James brings up, and then I'm going to open our mics up here in just a second for us to discuss these things. But I I like how he ends this section here by reminding us that mercy triumphs over judgment. So he says in verses 12 and 13 of James 2, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to, to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love what James is saying there. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And he's saying here, speak and act. You know, treat people, interact with people as those who know we're going to, at one point, give an account for our lives before the Lord. And here he's telling us something that we should rejoice over, the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment, because if it didn't, what hope would we have? You know, we're grateful for the fact that the Lord has shown us mercy. Mercy is the idea of we, we deserved punishment, we deserved condemnation, but instead we've been, shown, we've been shown blessing by the Lord instead. You know, he's not giving us the judgment we deserve. He's showing us mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James ends this section here by referencing that. He tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the type of thing that we should have in mind as we interact with others. We shouldn't be eager to judge others. We shouldn't be eager to to condemn others. We shouldn't be eager to look down on others and show partiality because ultimately, what has Christ done for us? He looked at us with mercy. He intervened on our behalf. We were poor and had nothing to offer him. And yet by his grace, he makes us rich in faith. And he assures us an inheritance in his kingdom that, again, we didn't earn and we did not deserve. He's given it to us as a gift of his grace. And so, again, James is reminding us, listen, as beneficiaries of mercy, as beneficiaries of the goodness of God, show that mercy to others. Don't be somebody that's just so, so caught up in unfairly and unrighteously judging other people. Show others mercy, because we are recipients of mercy. As a recipient of mercy, demonstrate mercy to one another. And so I love how that portion ends, and I think it's very helpful for us. Now, in just a moment, we're going to open up the mics, and we're going to just discuss some of these things. And I have a list of questions here for us, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of your insights and and responses on in just a moment. But I'll I'll just mention something really quickly for those who are joining us on the podcast and listening to this as a recording. You can find more information about what we're doing if you head over to healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com. Or you can jump on over to desirejesus.com. Either place, you'll be able to find some information about what we're doing here and how you might be able to join us live in the future. But again, healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com or desirejesus.com would be great places for you to stop by to learn more. Now, I'm going to stop my screen share here, and uh, we're going to jump on here and have some 
uh, some conversation. So I'm grateful for those of you that are on here. I, I, uh, I see Paul, I see Dennis, Andrea, I see Don. Don, we haven't seen you in a few weeks. Great to see you. I was hoping you'd be with us tonight. We see Kimber, and I see a phone number. I, I'm not sure who it is. It might be Rich. Sometimes that's Rich, isn't it? All right, I see your head nodding. Okay. Wonderful. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're on the call. And, um, and I, I want to throw out a few questions here. And by the way, if you're just joining us via audio and you can verbalize your answer, by all means, or you know, verbalize your thought, by all means do that. If you can't, but you have something that you want to share and you just want to uh, put it in the chat section, my wife Andrea will be happy to uh, read that and that can be part of our discussion here. But I have a few questions for us and I'd be very interested to hear your answers to this. And um, I, I have to confess something to you with the first question. So I'm going to, I'm just going to read the question. And then I'm going to, I'm going to give you my confession and then I'm going to just open it up to you guys and, and see, you know, if you have some insights of your own that you could add to this. But the first question I jotted down was this, are you partial toward those you agree with? Are you partial toward those you agree with. So in my day-to-day -day life, you know, as I'm reading through that portion of scripture from James, we just looked at a second ago. Um, there's not really a lot of examples in, at least in recent years where that I can think of where uh, I've shown partiality to people based on, um, you know, wealth or anything like that. Um, I don't, that's not necessarily how, how that plays out usually in my life, although I guess sometimes it probably could, uh, maybe sometimes without me even fully realizing it. But I have to confess to you that sometimes, if I'm honest here, that I have shown partiality toward those who I tend to agree with. And um, I was thinking to myself, I thought, I wonder how often I do that. I've definitely seen that some in my life, that those who, you know, I try and be kind and, you know, discussion oriented. But I, I think sometimes I, I tend to show partiality in my day-to-day -day relationships toward those who share my opinions. Now, it wouldn't surprise you guys on the call here. It certainly doesn't surprise my wife to know that I'm a person of strong opinions. You know, maybe you guys could uh, affirm or, or deny, you know, just by a, a movement of your head. Are you guys people of strong opinions too, or am I the only one? <laughs> All right. I, so I'm, I have good company here on the call. Those of you that are on the podcast, I know you can't see people's faces, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm in good company. So we're, we're all people who are opinionated people um, on our call tonight. But I, I just, I, I'm just going to confess that to you that sometimes I think I struggle with being partial toward those that I agree with. So my first question for you guys is this, are you sometimes partial toward those you agree with? What are some of your thoughts on that? Or do you see partiality sometimes in other areas? Who wants to take the first bite? Who's brave? All right, let's, yeah, get, get the, the pump primed here for us, Paul. Well, um, later on tonight, there's going to be a lot of people that will be showing partiality when they... Uh, the whole world, they, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult question uh, to consider because... Um, we're also called to uh, to support one another and to to be with one another of like faith. Um, in fact, uh, Paul also stated that if you're if you are yoked through marriage to a non-believer, you stay married to them in the hopes that they will join. But uh, 
again, partiality, we tend to hang around with people who agree with us. And, and I, I would tend to believe that most uh, churches are filled with people of different backgrounds and so forth, but they have something in common and that's Christ. Mm -hmm. So we try, you, you try not to be partial. And especially when, uh, uh, for us that are clergy, when we're in ecumenical situations, we try not to, but it's hard because God, God calls us to fellowship with one another. And the entire idea of, of uh, church is uh, corporate worship, corporate support. Yeah. And, and Paul, maybe even our conversation here can be a, a useful example of this. Uh, unmute your mic just for a second, because those that are, that are not on the, the video with us, I'll just give you a little bit of uh, background. I, I'm, uh, I'm an evangelical pastor, and Paul is a, a Catholic priest. And, um, and what's that? Say it again. Catholic bishop. Catholic bishop. Yep. So, yeah. And, um, and so you, you know, you, obviously there are some areas of preference or theology or, you know, things of that nature that we would, you know, if we start digging into it, you know, there's clearly going to be differences here and there. And yet, uh, but yet, one of the beauties I that I've, one of the beautiful things I've noticed over the past few months that we've known each other is also, um, you know, the common joy we have in Christ, you know, and, and our ability to focus on what we do have in common. In and, and I have, I have to say too, that, uh, I can be on a lot of different podcasts. We all have different, uh, uh, things that we can do and, uh, to carve out time, to carve out time to do this is not easy. In fact, I didn't know what was going to happen when we went from Thursdays to Tuesdays. Yeah. So, so far it's working. But, so far, it's uh, I, I just appreciate the 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 uh, the very um, there's a very sensible and practical application to uh, the the points that we discuss from week to week, and also everything that every one of the people that have been participating in uh, they add to it. And uh, I, the, it, but again, we have our commonality. Yeah, it's our Christian faith. Right. Uh, I would have a hard time if I was to be in a a, a coven of uh, warlocks and witches. I yeah, I don't know that. I don't. I would feel a little out of place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I doubt you've ever had that experience, and I I haven't either. So, but I I don't get invited onto too many of their podcasts. I don't know if you do. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, good point. Uh, any, anyone else want to chime in on that a little bit? You know, does and, and you could take that question and, and interpret it, you know, in a variety of different ways. But anyone else kind of wrestle with, um, you know, just having to work, I guess, extra hard not to be unfairly partial when you're in a context of different opinions? You know, maybe that's a way I can phrase that. I, I wrestle with it a little bit. I'm going to jump us to another one here then. Have you ever been on the downside of partiality? So James gives this example here of, um, you know, the rich man, and he's welcomed, and he's, it's like he's adored as he comes into the assembly. And the poor man who's basically told, you have nothing to offer, so sit at my feet or just stand, whatever. Not even glad you came. That's kind of the vibe that, that he's given. You know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I guess you could be here, but I don't know. You know, maybe you should just go. 
have you ever been on the downside of partiality? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? And what was that like for you? Yeah, Don. Yeah, when I first got involved in, uh, in leadership and ministry, because I came from a, not a, a, a you know, a, a Christian background, so whenever I felt the calling of God to get into ministry and specifically pastor the church that I pastor now, the uh, board of leadership that was in place at that, that time, there, you know, I, I felt a lot. I felt like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and they wouldn't let me join in any pastor games kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I remember that feeling. But uh, when you're talking about this partiality, I think I come at this from – from an opposite end of the spectrum and that, uh, you know, I know the blood is thicker than water and people tend to, you know, you're, I have never done that. Like, uh, I don't show partiality to my, to my children over somebody. If they do something that's wrong, I would treat them the same as I would, you know, a stranger who did the same thing. And, and, and I get a lot of static with that because, and, and same thing, you know, with, you know, with my congregation, I, I'm, I'm a, like a tough love kind of person. And I, I, if I feel God has given me something through his scripture and what I'm speaking is the truth, and I know it'll set you free and I, you might not want to hear it, my partiality don't come into play with like a coddling or a, I think so many people want to hear Oh, God loves you. It'll be okay. And kind of be patted on the back. And I think most people want to do that as opposed to telling, I know we're supposed to speak the truth in love, but if what you're saying all lovingly doesn't have any truth behind it, I don't see what good it is. Mm -hmm. So I find mm -hmm. myself being on the other end. I don't show partiality to anybody. And uh, that makes things a little bit difficult but I don't get involved in what you just read from the scripture, like treating the, the well-dressed guy that comes in. I'm looking at him with a little bit of suspicion anyway. <laughs> I know how God treats, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't look at the outward appearance and whatnot. So, you know, we have God ourselves and other human beings. One of those I like the other two, not so much. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, so now is it, is it, you know, like a hint of partiality if you notice the, the, the well-dressed guy coming in and you, your suspicion is raised? Is that, is that like partiality on the other side? I, I guess, I guess that would be the, the, the uh, danger. Yeah. Where I know that, you know, Christ came to seek and save the lost. Right. So, but if somebody that comes in and they'll look like they're lost and, they'll, and they have us all together, they, I, I probably am impartial to them, you yeah. know, or uh, uh, prejudicial towards them mm -hmm. instead of the other way around. Yeah, so maybe I'm just upside down and backwards. Just upside down. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, I Don, I could I could totally identify with uh, even feeling like you're on the outs, um, and and you know, being on the receiving end of the downside of partiality. You know, you you shared you know early in your ministry how how you felt that way. I wonder. I'm going to uh, ask my wife to share uh, something about what it was like your first year of teaching, uh, what that experience was like at lunch in particular. You think kids can be cruel at lunch. Uh, Andrea, could you just uh, share a little if you wouldn't mind? Sure. So I distinctly I, remember this. I was 
young and you know not too far out of school and in a a small private school where they'd been working together for a while and uh it was very much oh and not only that we had moved to that area so i wasn't from that area and i was very much on the outside and um it came it, it became noticeable in a variety of ways but the best story that explains it is one time during uh, lunch when, so we, we had to eat in the same room as the children and we would take turns being the person who kind of paroled, no, sorry, patrolled <laughs> <laughs> the, the children as they were eating and acted as like the, the lunch monitor. Um, and one day I, you know, when I came in and, and went over to the table where the teachers sat and I sat down and one of the other teachers actually came over and asked me to move because I was sitting where she sits. And I, I was like, I felt about this big. It, it was terrible. Like I just, I felt uh, very, very excluded in that. And it was a small group of teachers. So it's not like there was somebody else for me to hang out with. Uh, it was very hurtful. Did, what did you end up doing? I don't remember how that story resolves. Did you just eat by yourself somewhere? I just moved. No, I just moved down, like to okay. a, different, a different chair, like a different spot at that same table. Uh, yeah, I, I still remember the day when you came home telling me that and how disappointed and discouraged you were by it. Yeah, Paul. I just wanted to ask Andrea, did anybody um, stick up for you? Did anybody say anything? No. Uh, see, because that's that's one thing that's important for all of us to be right. able to do is is that that soft type of uh, intercession mm -hmm. uh, when 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 somebody is when you see when you see wrong taking place you need to be and it, it take it takes a certain amount of guts right. I guess but if but if we're if we're strong in our Christian faith we need to step out and uh, speak against a wrong when we see it. It's easier said than done, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, that the first time you do it makes the next time a little bit easier. I, I would even go so far as to say if you can't muster the, you know, like the guts to go so far as to stand up against the person who was unkind, you can at least show extra kindness to the person who has been uh, excluded or wronged or hurt in some way. You know, like if one of the teachers had come and sat specifically with me, um, and, or sat across from me and then talked to me, like that would have made a huge, even that gesture would have made a huge difference. And, but there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything like that. And I, I, you know, from the perspective of the local church, I often wonder how much this plays out in the context of local churches in ways that we don't even realize, mm -hmm. you know, particularly well, if you've been part of a local church for a long time, you don't always catch on to it. And then, uh, you know, at times like, you know, people come in and experience some version of this feeling of partiality. I think we got to be careful about that. Go ahead, Andrea. I was just going to say, I don't know if you recall, but there was also a time when we were on a va on vacation and we visited a church. So you and I and our four children and we came yeah. in uh, and there weren't a lot of people in the sanctuary. When we came in, we were a little bit early and we came in and sat down and um, we actually had somebody who came into the church who was clearly a regular who told us we were sitting in her seat and asked us to move. So we were like visitors. And I thought, okay, so we're, we're believers. So we're not going to be, you know, like 
turned off from church and all that kind of stuff. We're just visiting <laughs> this church. Like it's not going to cause any problem. But I was like, shame on you. Yeah. Like, if she had said that to somebody who was a like completely brand new visiting church, they would have never come back and probably never gone anyplace else either after being treated like that. And I was like, I cannot believe and you making that, that you don't know who yeah. we like she didn't know who we were or anything like that it was like wow and making that story even worse two two things that church was empty there there was yeah. hardly anybody there so like the there were seats everywhere it was very no sparsely reason. attended and i was friends with the pastor there and uh, he was really wrestling with, I wonder why our church is really struggling to reach new people. <laughs> and well, I thought, you know why. I know why. I know why. <laughs> and, 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 script, and Jesus even says in Scripture, you know, the way you treat these, the least of my, uh, my brethren, you treat me. You've treated so me, yeah. Every time, every, when you were rejected, they were rejecting Christ. Yeah, spiritually speaking, it, it's, yeah, it holds the, the same effect as he's saying it. You're right. All right. How about how about this? Let's talk. Let's keep talking about the local church uh, in the application here, because James was talking about the assembly, right? When you assemble together. Uh, so, what's the role of the church? I'd be really curious to hear some opinions on this. And some of you that haven't been able to chime in yet, if you're able to, even through the text area, if you're not able to audib- audibly do that, I'd love to hear some of your opinions on this, even if it's just brief. Uh, but what's the role of the church in regard to people that are you know, to the poor, to the destitute, to the, to the discouraged. What's the role of the church in regard to these, these individuals, you know, to those that are poor, those that are feeling destitute or discouraged? You know, what's the role of the church? What are your thoughts on that? I think if we're going to model Jesus like we're supposed to, we should be the first who pay attention to them. First who notice them, who look at them, who look them in the eye, who like... Mm-hmm demonstrate with not only our words, but our actions and our body language that, that they are loved and that we love them. And, you know, what a huge difference we can make in the, even just the, their impression of, of Jesus by, by doing that. And sometimes when you do that, you know, um, sometimes you get the opportunity because they'll ask you like, why are you being nice to me? Like I've had contexts like that where I've had somebody be like, why are you being so nice to me? Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the perfect opportunity to say why. And, and I was in a public school context. I was an adult and a child, like a student asked me that in a public school context. And I, that was the perfect open door because if a student asks, you're allowed to answer. Mm. Uh, and I was able to tell them the, why, why I was showing them love. Mm. Yeah. And give glory to Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Anyone else want to chime in on that? What's the role of the church in regard to the poor? Yeah, Don. I'm thinking of that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Mm. Supposed to be like, you don't, you're not showing somebody love if you tell them that, uh, hey, that's my seat, get out of it. Uh, so like, that doesn't uh, sound loving to you. You don't. You yeah, wouldn't put that person on the greeting committee. I, I would love to go to that church because I would love to just sit in somebody's. I, I do that kind of stuff. <laughs> You'd do I'll it on purpose, this- wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reminded of this. By the way, I'll, I'll share a personal story while we're on this subject. Um, you know, so in the early months of 
things shutting down this year. So in March, every, you know, mid-March, everything started shutting down in our area. We're in southeastern Pennsylvania and, and uh, stores were shutting down and everything was shutting down and people were, you know, starting to lose work and, and uh, starting to wonder, you know, where their next meal was going to come from. One of the things our church decided to do, you know, the leadership of our church, we decided let's give away what we have in the church because we had things like snacks and we had things like uh, paper supplies and and things like that. People, you know, were losing their jobs and and weren't able to purchase some of these things because they couldn't even find them in stores, even if they had the money. And uh, we thought, all right, it's probably going to be a little while before the church is able to meet. So let's just give these things away. We set up these sharing tables outside on the front porch of our church and we gave away what we had inside the church, and uh, and then members of the church filled those tables up even more, and we gave all that away, and then people in the community started joining us, and basically one of my daily tasks for a few months was just making sure that people got groceries and other household needs that we were able to dis- uh, just share via those sharing tables, and for a couple months, there for some people, we were their main source of groceries. There were people, you know, they'd, they'd pull up and we'd help, you know, we'd load up a bunch of food in their van, you know, I, um, and it was also neat. One of the people in the community, not somebody that I know well, um, uh, she came up to me and she said, I like what, what the church is trying to do to help those with a need. And uh, she said, what I decided to do, I put together all these care packages here and I'm going to leave them at the church for you to be able to give out to whomever needs it. And she said, and one of them there also has a $50 gift card to a steak restaurant because there was a steak restaurant in the area that was still able to do takeout. And uh, it was neat because there was a family that came. Uh, a mother came with several young children, and I knew where that steak house gift card was. And so we made sure to, to load them up with groceries. And in the midst of that, I was also able to say, because she had been talking about how her father was helping them out a lot too, and to give her that gift card. And she was able to treat her, you know, she and her father were able to enjoy a steak meal together, courtesy of someone in the community that just wanted to bless somebody with just an extra special meal. And that, that mother contacted the church to say uh, how wonderful that was to be able to share that experience with her dad that was facilitated by someone in the community that partnered together with the church just to do something extra nice for somebody that was really, really down. We also had somebody um, in our church family that gave the church, I I won't say the amount, but it was a a healthy amount. Um, And she said, there's no strings attached to this, but when you find a need that this needs to go to, just put it to the to the need, meaning this is supposed to help a person who's in real tough shape right now with everything shutting down. When that person emerges, give that away and help them out. And that's what the church was able to do. We were able to help out somebody in a very significant way with a major need through the generosity of uh, a sister in Christ who decided to, to be generous. Um, and so anyway, you know, that's, that's um, you know, the type of thing that, that, you know, uh, like I've, I've seen in regard to like the poor and the destitute and the discouraged. Let me, let me throw out one more question here before we run out of time. Um, and it's, it's uh, related to the last thing that James says there. And that's this, He's, he, he talks about mercy triumphing over judgment. And so let's finish up with this tonight. How has mercy triumphed over judgment in your life. 
How has mercy triumphed over judgment in your life? Are you interested in being merciful or are you interested in being right? <laughs> Which would you prefer? How has mercy triumphed over judgment in your life? What do you think? Yeah, Paul. I just want to, um, I don't know if it's specific to me, but I think the one scripture that always pops in and is very meaningful to me is, uh, or not scripture, but the action in, in the New Testament is when Christ is dying on the cross, you know, he's looking out at everybody that, and, and it's, it's not just the people that are there. He's looking out at all of uh, humanity uh, because he's bearing the weight of the sins of all of humankind. And uh, he is the only one who is sinless. And so he's offered up at the, as, the, uh, as the spotless lamb. And his words um, are amazing. Uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right. And uh, um, for me, uh, those words just keep echoing, echoing. It's a perfect example, right, of that idea of mercy triumphing over judgment. You know, Christ looks at compassion on the very people that are subjecting him to a torturous death. And he says, Father, forgive them. They, in fact, in fact, they don't know what they're the doing. Things, What's one that? Of the, one of the things I think that we hope for as Christians, because we recognize that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, mm. will be a judgment. Uh, it's very clear in Scripture. But, you know, uh, the, ultimate, the ultimate form of justice is loving forgiveness. And so, uh, you know, even though we know that there is a hell, uh, and, uh, but, but the, the, the opportunity of heaven is open to everybody. The only thing is God gave us a free will. And if we choose to be stubborn, oh well. But uh, the, the ultimate act of, of justice is loving forgiveness. Hmm. Yeah, and our, our Lord shows us that justice, and he shows us that loving forgiveness. We rejoice over that. And I, I you know, the follow-up that I, I already read it to you, but um, what do you think? Are you more interested in being merciful or being right? <laughs> do you ever wrestle with that? It's like, should I be merciful right now or should I be right? <laughs> I can't be the only one that wrestles with that. I, for, for, for myself, it also has to do with, you know, we have to be true to the teachings of Christ. And uh, we can certainly be, uh, we can be caring and loving to people because the church is filled with sinners. But we can't, I don't believe you can compromise theology. Right. I think that, I think that you know, uh, 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 to, to say, well, I love you, and, uh, you know, so to, to uh, uh, show my love for you, uh, I'm going to compromise my, uh, my theology so that right. I can make you feel better. <laughs> I don't think we can. That do doesn't that. work. Catholic Church, uh, the Polish National Catholic Church has been struggling with that uh, for a long time, uh, especially with the uh, relationship between our, ourselves and the, uh, uh, the Anglican communions because of the uh, question, again, this is from a Catholic perspective, mm -hmm. but the ordination of women to the Holy Priesthood. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's something we simply can't compromise. Mm -hmm. But we, we love and we extend our love, but... Yeah, and so yeah, the a great book of the Bible that that really addresses that subject is um, the the book of Jude. You know, the idea of of doctrine being something that we do need to be specific about in truth. Um, it, it looked to me like 
Uh, Kimber, did you unmute for a second? Were you going to share something with us about that idea of are you interested in being merciful or being right? Hi, John. Um, hey. Yeah, I had a, a thought. Sorry, I've been kind of in and out here. As oh, that's okay. Um, I'm glad you but, joined us. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed listening in. Um, yeah, kind of thinking through your question, I think that I am maybe um, quicker to show mercy to people I don't know. And maybe a little quicker to uh, exercise judgment to people I do know better. Um, maybe that's its own terrible form of partiality. Um, that's a great example. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. if you, Could you see others on the call here? Do you see the affirming heads agreeing with you? Oh, I, I have just your face pulled up on my screen. Oh, okay. Well, I, my, the, others are, the others are very much agreeing. So you, you, hit, you hit a nerve here. <laughs> Yeah, so you feel you feel e it's easier to be merciful to people that you don't know well, and easier to sometimes be a bit more harsh with those that you've known for a while. Yeah, especially um, friends or people you know um, have some foundation of faith, um, and I can think of two examples of of both scenarios right now. Um, and yeah, uh, I think just yeah, in this conversation, just thinking about. Um, my friend, and then a, a a gentleman that I guess God's kind of brought into our life recently. Um, he's kind of a straight, like we've had maybe three or four encounters with him. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I'm thinking about that now. Yeah, yeah. No, you you bring up a good example, and I, I know you couldn't see the others, but there was lots of affirmation because <laughs> uh, I apparently we all wrestle with that in a very similar way. But yeah, that's. Wonderful. I appreciate everybody sharing this evening. I think that's, I, I'm really enjoying looking at these portions from the book of James together. I think it's very helpful, and I think it's very insightful, the things that the Lord brings to our attention through James' writing. Um, I'll let you know that our next meeting for the Healthy Discipleship Community, the next time we're going to do one of these coaching calls, is going to be on October 13th. So it's two weeks from tonight. So we don't have a meeting next week, but on October 13th, we'll get together again like this. For those that are accessing the recording uh, of this, we'd certainly love to have you uh, be part of it. We'd love to have you join. Um, you can find more information about it online at my website, desirejesus.com or healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com. And if you get on my email list, I usually try to send the link out to be able to join one of these, uh, usually the day before. So the next time we'll be getting together, October 13th, and we'd love to have you be part of that. But to those that were able to be part of this tonight with us, uh, really grateful that you're able to join us, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.